All right, how's everybody this morning? Doing well? How was Christmas? Good? Very good? Awesome. Good deal. It's funny how quickly uh, Christmas can go from the season of joy and happiness and gifts and family to the season of stress and anxiety, right? I mean, all it takes is one phone call uh, as you're getting ready to run out of the house and, and the end of the phone line says, hey, this is Apple and your iCloud account has been compromised. Congratulations, you bought a Ferrari in Malaysia, <laughs> right? Oh no, I need to cancel all my credit cards. I need to cancel my, my bank accounts need to be changed. I mean, that, the stress level goes from, from joy to bam, right? Like, like that. Or, or you're, uh, you, you know, you're with your family in a 500 square foot area, 27 people going to celebrate Christmas, have Christmas dinner, and, and you look out the back window to see your smoker with all of dinner for 27 people on fire, <laughs> right? I mean, it goes from like, oh, peace, I'm just sitting here drinking a Coke and, and thinking of the Coke commercial and the bears, and then <laughs> chaos, right? Turkeys on fire, multiple turkeys on fire, stress, man, it, it can start screaming. There's a certain level of stress that's healthy, right? I mean, stress can kind of drive us to a place of, of, of achieving maybe a little bit more or getting to, a, getting to a, a place of success in something. But there comes a tipping point where we move from, from healthy stress to a more destructive place, right? And for some of us here today, that's something that you've experienced, maybe not just in the Christmas season, but just in life in general. And that's something we want to talk about today as we get ready to launch into 2020. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did a search of what is the most, uh, the most searched Bible topic of the year 2019. The most searched Bible topic of 2019 was stress and anxiety. What does the Bible say about how to deal with stress and anxiety? The most common scripture searched for 2019 was Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. Yada, 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 and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds, right? People want to know, how do I get the peace of God in my circumstances when my anxiety is out of control and I feel like I don't have any grasp on my circumstances anymore? Um, here's, some, here's some anxiety, uh, some statistics on anxiety that I found I pulled up I wanted to share with you. Um, 40 million Americans, roughly 18%, have a new diagnosis of depression yearly for the last three years. 49% of the general population deal with anxiety, depression, or substance abuse because of stress. 38% of girls and 26% of boys aged 13 to 18 will deal with anxiety and depression this year. That's crazy. 70% of high schoolers say anxiety is a huge issue among peers, and it's called the mental health tsunami of this generation. I'm going to read a quote to you. It says this, there's just so much going on in this day and age. The pressure to fit in, the pressure to achieve, the pressure of social media, and then you couple that with the fact that kids can't even feel safe in schools. They worry genuinely about getting shot. And it all makes it so much harder to be a teenager 
Due to the No Child Left Behind Act, kids are being pressured like never before. Standardized testing in kindergarten, SATs in the eighth grade, the pressure to succeed, to be perfect, and to decide the course of my life, my whole life by eighth grade, is overwhelming. According to psychology today, the average high school kid has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Man, that's serious. Parents, as a parent, I'm... As a parent, I'm trying to learn how to lift weight off my kids. When I, when I was in high school, I thought, you know, I'm carrying some weight. I'm carrying some stress. That's normal, healthy stuff, right? But our young people today are carrying a stress and a weight sometimes that's, not, that, that's too great of a weight for them to carry. We as parents need to learn, how do I lovingly help carry that weight, right? And that's something we have to be prayerful about, and it's something that, that we as believers, as we come together as parents, need to discuss, right, before the Lord. How do we, how do we help our kids carry a weight that may be not quite theirs to carry at the age that they're at, right? So whatever that looks like, that's just something for us to chew on as, as, as the church, right? Anyway, I thought it'd be a great way to lead into the year by talking about what does the Bible say about how do we handle stress and anxiety as we get ready to approach the coming year. And I'm going to preface this by saying, I am not a, a counselor in the area of stress and anxiety. I'm not an expert on the subject by any stretch of the imagination. Please do not take this message as me saying that you should stop any sort of treatment or that your faith is not where it should be. Our Heavenly Father is a lot bigger than that. Amen? Amen. 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 What I would ask you to do is whatever, if you're dealing with stress or anxiety or, or anything that you, you've seen a professional about, that is absolutely awesome. What I would ask you to do is in faith, as we go through this subject today, add to your regimen what we discuss from the Word of God today. Can you do that? Awesome. Because that's something I need to do. That's something I think that we all need to do. You ever had somebody just come up and give you advice? <laughs> My wife loves it when I do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. My wife will be in the kitchen making some eggs, and I'll come over and, like, stare over her shoulder. And she's like, what are you doing? How are you going to flip that? I mean, there, I mean there's, a, there's a way, right? I mean, you got to get, get some wrist into it. And she's like, get out of my kitchen. And leave me alone, right? No, when, when somebody wants to give me advice, when they just come up and, here, let me share something with you, I want to know that they have some sort of expertise on the subject, right? And for some of us, when, when we say, hey, I want to present to you the Word of God on a particular subject that might be sensitive for some of us, we want to know, does the Word of God have, have authority on this subject? And I want to tell you today, yes, but I also want to present a case for you Concerning, uh, concerning Paul, who wrote on the subject, and, and, and confirm for you that, yes, number one, the Word of God is from the mind and heart of God for you. It is infallible and will minister to your life and produce life. Secondly, 
we can rely on the testimony of somebody who wrote the book of Philippians, which, which really, really addresses the subject. And so anyway, I want to just build a case for you real quick. Um, when it comes to uh, Paul, does he have any, any expertise on the subject? When, when the letter of Philippians, uh, when the letter to the church of Philippi was written, Paul uh, was about a year and a half into a two-year uh, home detention. He had been arrested, and because of being arrested, he decided to appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. So he was taken by guards from, from his location to Rome to wait to be seen by Caesar. For a year and a half, he was, he was under some extreme stuff. He didn't know he was going to be released probably about the two-year point, but at any point in there, he thought he could, he could be, be killed. They could kill him. During the time uh, that he was there, that he was in house arrest and detention, he had to provide for himself by working and by gifts he received from the Philippian church. He repaired tents for a living. He rented a house. He bought food. He had to be cleaned and clothed all while being chained to a guard or chained up by a guard, by guards that rotated shifts every four hours for 24 hours all the time, right? This is pretty serious stuff. But it wasn't just any guards. These were what the Romans called the Praetorian Guards. These were the elite force in the military arsenal of the Romans. In fact, if you're a Star Wars buff, uh, for those of you who you, you see pictures of the emperor, right? And he's got these guys in red that are all, they never really do anything. They're just kind of there. Those are the Praetorian Guards. They, they were modeled after the, the Romans and the Roman government. And these were the special forces, the elite forces of, of the Roman government. And if, if something needed to be done that was hush-hush, that they didn't want somebody to know about, they would send those guys. In fact, these guys were so serious that uh, when the emperor wanted uh, a, 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 some of the games in the Colosseum, they would have themes, right? And one of the themes would be that a, a group that were going to fight in the Colosseum were going to represent the, the, the Romans, right? And another group would maybe represent like Gaul or, or their enemy, right? They would, they would bring in... They would bring in um, uh, uh, captives or, or people who had been in prison to fight to represent Gaul. And anytime they wanted to make sure that it looked like Rome won, they would send in the Praetorian Guards to fight on behalf of Rome in the games because they weren't defeated. They won always. These were serious guys, right? So look at, uh, look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 about his situation. Um, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, he says, nevertheless... You have done well that you've shared in my distress. You've done well that you've shared in my distress. Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing to the Philippian church, and they've helped him. But here's this little tiny passage that talks about the undercurrent of the entire book of Philippians. Right? This is an undercurrent that we see. Paul is in distress during this two-year period. And as he's writing the book of Philippians, you see this subject kind of rise to the surface how he dealt with stress, anxiety, 
distress, depression, and it will dive down, and then it'll come back up in different areas throughout this book, throughout this letter. And those are the areas that we want to we look at. Philippians chapter 4 is one where, that we hear commonly, but there's a whole lot of other things that Paul shares about what he went through and how the Lord helped him deal with it that I think are important for us to touch on today. So what is distress? It's experiencing extreme anxiety and physical anguish. Paul is is experiencing extreme anxiety and physical anguish during this two-year detention with the Praetorian Guards in Rome. I thought about sharing, uh, I thought, you know, this is a good spot in the message to like share uh, a personal story about stress and anxiety, you know, because I've gone through a few things. But think about this for just a minute, all right? You are a Roman praetorian guard, right? The elite of the elite, the baddest of the bad. That's you, right? Get that in your head, like like Gladiator. You guys ever see the movie Gladiator, right? You are Gladiator. And you have an old, decrepit Jewish guy chained to you. How well could this go for Paul? These are the guys who wrote the book on how to make a death look like an accident. And here's this guy who, from the beginning, probably seemed like a bit of a religious nut, and he's chained to these guys. On the surface, this looks like it is not going to go well for Paul. It does not look good. This is distress. This is anxiety. And at the beginning of this letter, he makes a powerful statement in the middle of this stress and this anxiety and this fear for his life. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until he's finally finished on the day of Christ Jesus. How can Paul say, I am certain that God's going to do something if he hadn't experienced it firsthand? Paul had experienced for certain that God would carry the Philippian church through because he had experienced it for the last year and a half that the anguish, the distress that he was going through, God had carried him. See, he learned, he had written the, the, the book of Romans, Romans eight twenty eight and 29 says, uh, God will work out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Right? Paul wrote that years before this point, but now he's, having to, now he's walking it out. He's living it out. Right? And he's telling the church, for certain, God is going to work things out in, in your circumstances. In, in verse 12, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This word actually is kind of funny because it's, it's, it only shows up in two translations. It shows up in the, in the original, but it shows up in the, in the King James and the New King James, and a lot of uh, translations kind of leave this out, but it carries a lot of weight to it because there was a point in Paul's uh, detention where he probably thought, there is no way on God's earth this is going to work out. There is no way. But after a year and a half, he's able to write to the Philippian church and say, but I want you to know, brethren, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for good. 
I mean, this is a big statement. So this is Paul standing at the end of the tunnel and saying, it's going to be okay. The Lord has led me through something that I didn't think we could even get through. And here we are on the other side of it. And I want that to be an encouragement for you today. No matter what you carry, the stress, the anxiety, perhaps you're in a place of distress in your life. Perhaps you're at a place where you're wondering, is there any light down this tunnel? You need to hear today from the Lord, it's going to be okay. He's going to see you through it. You're going to come to a place where you're going to look back and say, I can't believe this. But God actually worked this out for good. And some of you are looking at me this morning saying, that might be for the guy next to me, but I don't know that it's for me. You need to hear it today for you. It's for you. Take a minute. Let that settle. Let the Holy Spirit speak that to your soul over you this morning. He is going to see you through this. So like Paul, how do we get to the place of moving from holy smokes, Lord, how are we ever going to get through this to the place of God's going to work this out for good? How do we move from, from, from the place of, of feeling buried by stress and anxiety to the place of standing on top of it and saying, I'm going to be victorious because he's got this. Because that's what Paul did over the course of about a year and a half. And it, it, it completely, it, it's amazing. It's amazing the things that we find in the book of Philippians. Anyway, so we're going to get into it. We're going to read through some passages, uh, a lot of which are, are passages that you've heard before. But I think this morning as we dig into the context of them, uh, there's going to be some new things that come to light for you. And so uh, we're going to begin uh, with chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Brethren... I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal, the prize, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many who are mature have this mind. We've heard that verse before that, that Paul writes about letting go of the things past and looking forward to the calling that God's placed on him. But I want to talk to you for just a minute about the context from which that comes. If we go back to verse 8, the end of, ver uh, chap uh, the end of verse 8, he says this, I have suffered the loss of all things. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith. Paul says, he makes a statement that I have lost everything. Paul had been taken from his home. He was in Rome for two years during this time. I imagine the majority of any possessions he had had probably been stolen by that time. Relationships that he had were probably probably somewhat floundering. He had some real close relationships with Timothy and a few others in the Philippian church and others in the church, but other relationships probably, some probably wondered if he was even still alive. They, they didn't like pull out the phone and like text each other. Like, hey, Paul, how you doing today, man? 
LOL, all is good. I'm chained to Dave today, but he's in a good mood, right? Probably nothing like that really happening, right? So Paul says, man, I, I have lost everything. And over the course of a year and a half, roughly, he came to the place where he said, you know what? I'm getting to the place where I am going to stop dwelling on the loss. See, the majority of anxiety, distress, depression, come from a place of fear of loss, a place of fearing that there's something I'm not going to have. I could lose that. Or it could be from a place of, I have lost that, this thing, right? It could be from a place of, of a loss of possessions, loss of control, loss of trust, loss of relationships, loss of dreams, or the fear of the loss of those things. But Paul says, I'm letting them go. The things that I fear, I will lose. The things that I have lost, I'm letting them go. And I'm looking on to the calling he's placed on my life. I'm looking on to the heavenly perspective. I'm seeing things through God's eyes and not just through my own. I'm recognizing that the temporal things that, that are in my life that... that I'm so concerned about, I'm learning to live with them open-handed and say, Lord, I'm placing these in your control and whatever you choose to do, because you are sovereign over my life, so be it. And listen, it's not easy. Paul even said so. The next statement that he makes, he says, this is for the mature. He said, man, this is, this is, this is leveling up. This is not something that will be easy to be able to live open-handed with our lives, to be able to come to the place and say, if I suffer the loss of everything, God is still in control. He is still on the throne. He is still my Lord. He is still my Savior. And I have gained everything in Him. It takes a lot to get to that place, but Paul urges us all to, to, to come to that place in, in maturity, to be able to live eternally minded, that this stuff, the things that we wrestle with now are temporary. We're going to come through it. We come to uh, Philippians chapter 4. This is, this is the common one that the, the majority of, of us will find if we search, what does the Bible say about anxiety or stress or depression? We're going to come to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Throughout the book of Philippians, you'll see Paul say this a lot. Rejoice in the Lord. If you go back to verse or chapter 3, verse 1, he says the same thing. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice rejoice over and over again. Man, this is a key principle that Paul stands on, and he talks about learning to rejoice. What's it mean to rejoice? It literally means to re-joy. It means to cause joy to percolate in our soul, that joy would begin just to stir and bubble and come out. And Paul says over and over again, rejoice Rejoice, rejoice. The question I have for you today is your relationship with Jesus bubbling up joy in your soul? 
is where you're at in your walk with the Lord, causing joy just to stir and to come out. Because that's what Paul's saying. He said, your relationship with Jesus should be carried in such a way that it causes joy to bubble up within you. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what your distress, that you walk with the Lord in a way that it would just bubble, that it would just start to stir. Church, listen to me. When we get into the funk, when we get into the the nasty stuff of depression, anxiety, distress, checking the religious box will not do. It will not do. Waking up in the morning, going to church to say, man, I accomplished something. I'm good. Will not do. The thing that will stir joy in your soul is a daily walk with the Lord. A daily walk with Jesus where at some point in your day you can say, Lord, I need you. Lord, would you be with me today? Lord, and walk hand in hand with him. Spend time in the word of God allowing him to speak to your soul and to refresh you and to revitalize you. Spending time in prayer, not just daily, always, continually. Paul even tells us in another book, he says, he says we're to pray continuously, right? That prayer should just become who we are, that it just every time we have a concern, the Bible says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. He wants to bring us to a place where where no matter what we're experiencing throughout our day, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, that He's on our hearts, He's on our minds. Listen, God does not want to be number one on a list of 10 things in your life. He wants to be number one on a a list of one. He wants to be the sole priority in your life. And when you come to that place where you've sought Him with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength, You will be found by him, says the Lord. Chase after him. That's rejoicing. You'll come to that place where all of a sudden joy will start to well up in you and it'll start to show up on your face. It'll start to display itself in your circumstances. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It's funny in... in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, I already brought that up. He says, rejoice in the Lord for me to write to you the same things. It's not tedious, but it's safe. He's making a point about he's writing the same thing over and over again to them, and they might start thinking, man, you've already said this like four times. I mean, text something else. But he's saying, no, man, you've got to get this. This little tiny thing about rejoicing, you've got to get it. We've got to get it. Allow it to dwell up in us from that, from that intimate relationship, that walk with Jesus Moving on to chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I was fortunate enough um, early on in my walk with the Lord to understand the power that comes from prayer and praise. I don't know, even, I, I think I probably had read this passage and similar ones to it, and it just sank in. What I mean by that is, um, 
just for an example, uh, there was a time I was at a friend's house, and we were, we were hanging out, and the family had received a letter saying that their car was going to be repossessed uh, within 24 hours if they didn't make a, a particular payment. And they got this, and I could tell that they, they were under a lot of distress because of this letter. And so I, I said to the, the mom, uh, I said, hey, um, I'm going to pray. Can I use your room? And I imagine, she said yes, but I imagine she was probably like, all right, that's weird, but sure. Yeah, and, and thinking back, I, thought, I, I think I, I probably should have like prayed with the family. But I had learned that if there's something going on, that I can go to the Lord in praise and in thanksgiving, and I can cast my cares on Him. And guess what? I can cast other people's cares on Him. He wants to know about all of it. And so I went in this bedroom for about an hour with my Bible. I used to take my Bible with me everywhere. And the thing was all ratty and gnarly looking because I, I carried it. I read it constantly. And I went in the back room, and I spent time in, in the book of Psalms. Just I started there, man. I started reading, and I started praying Psalms. And I started praying over this family. I started praying for this, this stupid bill, right? God, nothing is too big for you. And I believed, and I do believe, that nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too big for God. No matter what you carry, no matter your challenge, nothing is too big for God. Can you own it? So I went and I, I spent time praying. I spent time praising and worshiping and, and giving thanks. And there came a place where I, I, I just knew in my soul that the Lord said, thanks, I'll take it from here. There, there comes a place in your prayers where you'll experience that from the Lord. And I would encourage you, don't get off your face until you do. And if you got to get up, go back. But there'll come a place where you'll get a sense that the Lord will say to your soul, rest, I've got it. Right? I went and I prayed, I came out. Uh, within the hour after I came out, they received a letter in the mail that was a check that covered the expense from some stupid thing like a class action lawsuit. It was something totally weird, right? Like, like normally you get a check for like five cents in the mail. This one was for like thousands of dollars. And they were like, what in the world? And I was like, yes, right? Because I, I, there just was something in me that just knew God will see this through, right? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, and supplication, that means laying it before the Lord until you get that sense. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Um, Rick Warren said, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Thankfulness changes things, guys. Thankfulness humbles us. It positions us correctly before the Lord. It takes us off the throne. It takes our authority away. And it places him on the throne. And it says, Lord, I trust you. I give you control. I'm letting go of control. We've got to stir up attitudes of thankfulness. We've got to cultivate thankfulness. There comes time and times in our lives, times in my life where I think, man, I, I cannot think of a single thing to be thankful for right now because things are so rotten. I just can't think of a one. 
And that's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. People have felt that way for thousands of years. In fact, in Christ's time, rabbis of that time practiced something to stir up thankfulness. They would, they would pray starting with their toes, right? Lord, thank you for my toes. They help me keep balance. Lord, thank you for my feet, Lord, that I can walk. Lord, thank you for my ankles that allow me to, to, to move and, and have coordination and for my legs, for my knees, and they would work their way up, right? Just thanking the Lord about every little detail of their body. And then they'd move from there to other things, right? To begin to develop thankfulness because sometimes we get stuck in that rut where we can't think of what to be thankful for, right? We get so internally focused right? But there was an exercise that they would do, and I would encourage you to try it. I've done it before. I, I was stuck, in, not stuck, I was in an MRI machine for three hours one time. I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, God, this stinking, rotten, horrible thing. Oh, I can't be thankful for anything. And, and, and I started, the Lord reminded me of this, and I thought, all right, Lord, I'm just going to pray. And I just began to thank the Lord just for my toes, for my feet, Right? Next thing I know, three hours was done. And I, I spent a lot of time just thinking of things to be thankful for. Right? It, it's a good thing. It, it positions us in that place that when we pray, we can say, Lord, you're so much more capable of dealing with this than I am. What's the peace of God? That's the goal, right? It's It's... We go through stress, we go through anxiety, and, and we come to the place where we decide, am I going to take my hands of control off of this and give it to the Lord, or am I going to cling to it? Right? And through, through faith, we come to the place where we say, Lord, in prayer, I give it to you. And the Bible makes a promise that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would guard our hearts and our minds, but what is the peace of God? The peace of God, the peace of God is this. No matter what you feel chained to, no matter what loss you feel is at your door, you can have a sense that God is going to take care of it. That deep down in the core of your soul, you can know it's going to be okay. He's going to take care of it. And that's what God has for you as you lean into Him. So further, I'm going to wrap up with, with, with this last part here in just a second. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you've learned and you've heard and you've seen in me, do them. And the God of peace will be with you. Right here we see again this God of peace, the peace of God. Here's something to understand. In, in, in um, Hebrew writing during the time of Christ, they didn't have punctuation. They didn't have paragraphs. Everything ran together. So in my Bible and in yours, you'll see a big space between the, the, the last section that we read and the part that I just read. 
And there's a big title above it that says meditate on these things. Looks like a new, par- new paragraph, a new thought. It wasn't. It was the same thought. It continued, it continued over, right? Paul's saying that the first part is attached to the second part, right? When we get to the place where we've given control over to the Lord, he said something will begin to happen. Something will begin to happen. And we'll begin to see things differently. There are two ways we can see things in our, in our circumstances. We can see them faithlessly or we can see them with faith. We can see them with our own eyes and apply it to our own ability to fix it or we can see it in, through a lens of faith that God is in control. I've cast my cares upon him and I believe that he cares for me. I believe he cares for me. See, Paul says something here that, that's interesting. The um, Greek, uh, Greeks were philosophical, right? We always see stuff about, about, about uh, Greece and them contemplating things, sitting in, t- in uh, places with pillars and thinking through the affairs of life, right? Jews were not that way at all. They were not contemplative people. These were very practical people. When Paul, says, when Paul says here, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, he's not, he's not saying that, that we need to contemplate things that are true in the whole universe, right? I mean, I've thought about this true. What's it mean to think of things that are true? Paul's talking specifically about his circumstances. He is chained to a Roman guard who at any moment could say, I'm tired of dragging you around and make him disappear. When we're faced with circumstances and situations where we feel like, I don't know what the answer is, I've got to come up with one. I'm pretty good at coming up with answers and solutions. How about you? I imagine at some point in Paul's detention, he may have thought things that weren't true, things that weren't lovely. There's a chance that I might die. I'm tasked with furthering the gospel. That's my weight to carry, was it? No, it's the Lord's, right? But I'm tasked with this weight. This guy's going to kill me or I'm going to have to kill him. I've got to find a way to get out of this situation. That's the lens we see things through. How can I solve my problem? And Paul says here after a year and a half of walking with the Lord and recognizing the gospel is his to carry. I'm a tool in his hand and he is faithful beyond faithful. And he says, whatever things are true about your current circumstances right now, what's true? What's true right now that is faith-filled about your circumstances? What's noble? What's higher, right? We can get really low in the way that we think, right? Paul's saying, what's higher? What's just? What's pure? Right? Sometimes our thoughts are not very pure when we're trying to solve a problem that we think is going to best us. Paul's saying, think about what's pure, what's lovely, what are the things of good report and of virtue. Right? When we began to turn things over to the Lord and we allow him to change the way that we think, to be people of faith and faithfulness, even in the midst of despair and distress, it'll change the way that we see things. As I was saying, the Jews were people of action, right? They weren't a, they weren't a philosophical people. Are the things that we think 
Paul wrote them with the expectation that we wouldn't think we would do. Right? Anytime in Scripture you read that God hears, what's intended is God heard and did something. Right? Or when God saw something, He saw and He responded. Right? Paul is saying the same thing, that we think so that we can do, not so that we, we can be contemplative. Right? The peace of God. I've asked Steve to come up, and, and uh, can I have the rest of the worship team come up? We're going to spend a few minutes today um, doing the things that we talked about. Because there's some of us here today that are carrying a weight that God never intended for you to carry. And I thought it would be appropriate this morning as we're getting ready to launch into 2020 to be able to go into that next season having set some things here, right? Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to him. How many of you want to go out of here today with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Knowing that whatever your life feels chained to is going to be broken in the name of Jesus. That his peace can rest in your circumstances. I know I do. Can we dim the lights? Heavenly Father, we want to come before you today. And Lord, we've heard your word. Lord, that you are a God who loves us. You've asked us out of love for us to cast our cares on you. And Lord, we are in a room today that, at least according to the statistics, Lord, 50% of the people that are here today are carrying something, Lord, that they weren't meant to carry. But Lord, I think sometimes it's a lot more. Father, we want to come before you today and exercise what you said in Philippians about prayer and about praise because we want to leave here today carrying your peace. So, Father, as we enter into a, a, a brief time of worship, Lord, would you stir in our hearts those things that you want to carry? Because, Lord, we want to give them over to you today so that when we leave, we're different, transformed from the way we came in here. If that's something you want, would you stand up this morning and let's just uh, let's follow Steve as he'd lead us in praise this morning. Mm-hmm.